Thanks, Brev. Okay, give her. <clears throat> I'm actually going to do a little readjusting because I need <clears throat> one of these because I preach from a manuscript. And as a new preacher, I am not going to think more highly of myself than I ought. So I'm going to stick pretty close to my manuscript because uh, it's safer that way. So like Trev said, my name is Ben. If you didn't know, I'm a student at Ambrose University. I'm taking a church ministry type of degree. And part of that degree is incubating the call, what God has for me to do in the world, what my role is in bringing his kingdom come to Calgary or to Alberta, wherever it may be. And so this preaching is just another step on that journey. And I'm excited to open God's word with you today. Our text this morning is James chapter 5. We've been in the book of James for several weeks right now, and we're going to continue on in this series. This is the second last message in this series, and I'm excited to talk to you about what God has laid on my heart today. But before I get started, I want to talk about a few things in life that are absolutely certain, things that are going to happen no matter what you do. They're going to come, and they're going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen is winter Actually, well, it has come. When I wrote this message, it hadn't come yet. But now winter has come. And no matter what you do, the snow is going to fall, the temperature is going to drop, and you're going to have to scrape your windshield in the morning. Winter has come, and there's nothing that you can do about it. It's certain. Another thing that is absolutely certain is that two teams are going to play for the Stanley Cup this year. If you don't know what the Stanley Cup is, it's hockey's greatest trophy. Every hockey player, every young boy who plays hockey dreams of lifting it, and two teams will play for it this, this spring. I think Jesus is more likely to come back than the Flames are to return to win the Stanley Cup, but joking aside, two teams will play. It's going to happen. It's certain. A final thing that's absolutely certain is that you're going to have conflict in your life. No matter how nice you are, no matter how careful you are, no matter how great you may think you are, you will find someone or something that will bring out a side of you that, didn't, that you didn't know was there. Someone will rub you the wrong way and there will be conflict and you can't control it. Conflict will find you. You can control the way you handle conflict, but conflict will happen to you. It's inevitable. And there's something else in this text today that is inevitable. It's absolutely certain. It's going to happen to you. And in chapter one of his letter, James talks about this. It's something that every Christian every human will experience to varying degrees and in varying times. In fact, this is so regular that the Bible talks about it repeatedly, and we're going to explore that a little bit today. Do you know what it is? I'll get back to that in a second. Last week, in the first part of James chapter 5, Pastor Trev talked about rich people, and rich people and how they're taking advantage of the people in their lives. They're exploiting they're hoarding, and they're gaining at the expense of those beneath them. But as James points out, all the wealth and riches that they've accumulated is worthless. Judgment is coming. Jesus is returning. And the, the ways that they've hoarded, the ways they've exploited, the ways they've taken are going to be for nothing. The only true treasure is Jesus. All other treasure will fade. So now as we enter the next few verses of James chapter 5, James is going to shift his focus. He's not talking to those rich people anymore. He's talking to someone else. And what is it that he's talking about? What is the thing I alluded to earlier? The thing that we often have no control over in our lives is suffering. Suffering is a universal part of the human experience, and no one is exempt from its painfulness. 
It hits every single person at different times and in different places. And in today's passage, James is going to talk to those people who are suffering. James knows his brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering, and they're going through a painful and hard time. And by extension, James is saying that they're suffering by no fault of their own. It's happening because of the people who are taking advantage of them. And like a dear friend and brother in Christ, James is going to offer us some encouragement today. If you're suffering today, if you're carrying a heavy burden today, if you're feeling weighed down today, Jesus is ready to encourage you through this text. And in fact, Jesus is ready to offer you the only thing that can help you through your suffering today, himself. If you're not suffering in this moment, don't worry, you will. Remember these things for when it happens. So let's lean into God's word today and find out what encouragement Jesus has for us today. I'm going to pray before we move on. Father, as we open your word today, I pray your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts and minds. I pray you'd soften hard hearts. I pray you'd open blocked ears. And I pray just as this message has impacted me, I pray, Lord, that you'd be faithful and that it would speak and minister to each person here today where they need you most. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me to James chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of our uh, ushers will be happy to get you a Bible. Or if you have an app, you can also go there. That is also okay. So James chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 7 to 12, talking about uh, patience in suffering. I'm going to begin in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, or you will be condemned. The first point that I want to draw out of this text for you today is this. Patience during times of suffering involves faith. James says it plainly in these first few verses. If you notice in the passage, in these first three verses in particular, verses 7 to 9, James says twice, be patient. Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up and uh, I was at home, my mom often repeated certain things to me. Things like, you need to be nice to your brother and sister. Stop fighting. You need to help clean up around the house. You need to use your manners at the dinner table. Things like that. And when these things got repeated, I eventually got that they were important, that my mom was telling me something that mattered. Now, whether I actually did them or not, I mean, my mom isn't here. She cannot testify against me, so you don't know. But when things are repeated, it usually means that there's something important being said. And the same thing applies when you open the Bible and you read. When you see things that are repeated over and over, it means God is trying to say something. And so in these first three verses, 
we hear, be patient. And what does it mean to be patient and then to have faith uh, when we're talking about suffering? If you Google the word patient, don't do it now. God is watching. Stay off your phone. But if you Google the word patient, you'll come up with this definition. Able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. And this is a good definition. It means when things don't go your way, when people rub you the wrong way, when things aren't happening how you thought they were going to happen, you don't panic. Convicted, this preacher is. Being patient means you can take things as they come. And this is partially what James is saying to his Christian brothers and sisters in this text. He's saying, your suffering is hard, right? Be patient then until the Lord's coming. Your suffering is hard. Maybe it's not even fair. And these things are absolutely true. But James is calling us today to be patient, to patiently endure what's going on without panicking. But don't jump ahead of me here. We've only talked about what one part of being patient requires. If we try to be patient in our own strength, it won't work. There's another part of the equation. Did you notice that James repeats something else in these first three verses twice? He repeats, be patient twice, but he also repeats, because of the Lord's coming. James calls us, James calls his fellow believers to be patient even in the face of suffering, but he doesn't call them to be patient. He doesn't call us to be patient without purpose, without a goal, without something to look forward to. So imagine with me again, uh, or imagine with me, that you are a young kid again. You're at home, the snow is falling, the calendar's turning, strange music is playing everywhere. You know what's coming. Christmas is coming. And as, a, as Christmas comes, as a kid, you get excited because you know it means food. You know it means your grandparents are coming, and your grandparents have exactly what you want. Loot. They have presents. <laughs> and waiting as a kid for Christmas for me was always so hard. It was so hard to wait for these presents. I didn't want to wait, but I could. <laughs> but it was so hard because it meant I had to be on my best behavior for a month. And my parents always loved that. Waiting for Christmas was hard, but I could do it. Why? Because even as a young kid, I had a goal. I had something that I could fix my eyes on and look forward to. I had something that consumed my focus and actually altered the way that I behaved. Can you see where I'm going with this? Eventually the waiting, even as a kid, was over. And as Christians, James knows that being patient in suffering is going to be hard. But James gives us a reason to have faith. And that reason is the return of the king. The return of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to return and make all things right one day. And it's in this fact that James roots his call to patient suffering. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. James knows that suffering can be painful. But he also knows that suffering is temporary. It won't last. And the only reason that I can say that suffering won't last is because Jesus will return to make all things right one day. If you're suffering today, if you're hurting today, if maybe you're mourning today, lift your eyes and look at the glorious king who will return and make all things right one day. I want to turn with you to Revelation chapter 21 
And I want to share a few verses that have been very near and dear to me in the last few weeks as I've been walking through my own pain and suffering. Revelation chapter 21, if you don't know where that is, it's at the very back of your Bible. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5 of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The only way to patiently endure suffering in this world is by focusing on, by thinking about, by putting your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ. Patience in intense suffering requires a faith that is anchored to Jesus. When he is the object of your faith, you will be able to be patient even in the face of intense suffering. Now, maybe you're like me, and you've heard things like faith preached about before, and you're like, well, how do I know that I have faith? How do I know where my faith is at? Or how do I know, how can I check my faith? So I brought this pot along with me, and um, if you can look at it from the side, uh, you can't see what's inside, can you? No, you can't, and that's important. So you can't see what's in the pot from the side, right? I mean, I could have anything in here. I mean, you don't know. Ooh. It's kind of cool. <laughs> so um, it's kind of the same way with faith, right? You're sitting in the chair right now. The people around you can't see what's inside you. Even the, your spouse might not know what's inside you. But if I take this pot and I shake it, oh, if I shake it, what's inside comes out. If I move it around, What's inside will come out. And it's the same way with our faith. When the pressure gets put on, when someone comes and shakes you, when someone comes and rubs you the wrong way, what's inside will come out. And what's inside of me, I'm even thinking about this past summer when I was suffering and going through a very hard time. Um, what's inside of me came out. And it wasn't always nice. It was anxiousness. It was impatience, it was anger, it was selfishness. It wasn't always faith that came out. And so in your life, when someone comes and stirs you, when circumstances shake you, what comes out? Is it faith or is it something else? And there's one other point I want to make from this pot, actually, that I was thinking about this morning. I have in here a little bit of water, actually. It's not much. There's only a tiny little bit. But it doesn't matter how much water is in the pot because the water is inside the pot. And it doesn't matter how much faith you may think you have this morning. Maybe your faith feels tiny. Maybe it feels like, I'm not even close to God right now. 
but it doesn't matter how much faith you have. What matters is the person that you have your faith in. He is the one who will carry you. Just like this pot. doesn't matter how much water's in it. What matters is that it's in the pot. What matters this morning is that you are in Jesus Christ. So that's the first point I want to talk about this morning, is that in order to patiently suffer well, it requires a faith, and that faith needs to be anchored in Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to talk about this morning is that godly patience during times of suffering also involves work. As we've been talking through the letter of James here at Urban Grace, the letter has always talked about the inseparable connection between faith and works. You can't have faith without works. You can't have works without faith. And it's the same thing when we're talking about suffering. It involves faith, absolutely. But it's also going to involve some work on our part. The call of the Christian life is to walk with God, not to sit with God and do nothing. Now, maybe, like me, you're wondering what works means. What does it mean to, to do works? And simply, works mean doing what God asks you to do. So when you're in times of suffering, when you're in times of hardship, there are still things that God is asking you to do. If God says, for example, that I forgive other people when they hurt me because I've been forgiven, it means I forgive. That's what it means to do works. And so in this text, I'm going to read the rest of it before we keep going. Uh, James uses a couple of illustrations, and I'm going to hone in on um, one of them. But I'm going to um, refresh um, the text in your mind before we move on. He uses four illustrations in chapter 5, and I'm going to land on one of them. He says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have also heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And above all, my brothers and sisters, don't swear by anything, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, or you will be condemned. And before that, he also talks about the illustration of the farmer. Unfortunately, I don't have enough time to land on each and every one of these things, but what I want to do with you this morning is I want to talk about one of these examples that James uses that illustrates what it means to patiently endure while you're suffering, to do the work while you're suffering. I want to talk about the story of Job. James says in this text that Job persevered. And what does it mean that Job persevered? Or what does it mean that God finally brought something great about in Job's life. So let's walk through this story a bit together. I'm going to turn to Job. If you don't know where Job is, if you have a paper Bible, uh, you can go to the middle, you'll get to the Psalms. You go back one book, you'll get to the book of Job. And I think Job is an excellent illustration of what it means to do work while you're suffering. Uh, this was a story that was very close to me uh, through this school semester. And God taught me lots of things. And I'm excited to show you uh, some of the things that God taught me. And they tie exactly into what James is talking about this morning. So I'm going to set the stage for you. I'm not going to assume that you know the story of Job. Or maybe you need a little bit of a refresher this morning. Uh, so I'm going to read the first few verses, make a few comments. And then I'm going to unpack what I want to show you in Job. So I'm going to start with Job chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm going to read the first five verses. In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright, 
he feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So in a nutshell, what the text is saying is that Job is blameless. This guy is doing what God is asking him to do. He is so righteous, in fact, just means he's obeying God, doesn't mean he's perfect, but he's doing so well that God and Satan both take notice, actually, and as we keep reading, you're going to see what happens. So I'm going to continue on in verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has in your hands is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Did you catch what just happened? God is allowing Job to be tested, and it's not even his fault. God himself even says Job is blameless and upright. He's doing what God is asking of him, and that's high praise. But Satan challenges his God on Job's integrity, and God allows Satan to afflict Job. If we were to keep reading, you'd see that Satan takes all of Job's possessions. Satan also attacks and takes away Job's sons and daughters. He loses everything. And if that's not enough, God also allows Satan to test Job a little later on by afflicting his body with painful sores. Job has lost everything. He's in emotional and physical agony. And it really, it's through no fault of his own. Job is suffering, much like the Christians in James's passage. They're suffering. And so let's lean in and see what we can learn from Job's perseverance throughout this book and see what Job does well that demonstrates work in suffering. The first point I want to illustrate for you, one of the things that I think is really important to do as work when you're suffering is Job lamented. Godly patience through suffering means allowing yourself to be emotional, to feel, to express your grief. Suffering is hard and painful, and it can push you and I to our very limits. And lamenting is a biblical way of patiently enduring through suffering. Now, lament is a word that we don't use a lot anymore, and if you punch it into Google, you will find that it is defined as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And this is exactly what our brother Job does through his pain and suffering. In fact, for 34 chapters in this book, Job is going to passionately grieve what has happened to him, both before his friends 
and before God. I want to give you a short snippet of that. In chapter 3, I'm going to read the first couple of verses in Job to hear the kinds of things that Job is saying. So after everything has taken place, he's lost everything, Job says this. He opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night it was said, a boy is born. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep sorrow claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light. Job is passionately lamenting what has happened to him. And this is an important part of what it means to work while you're suffering. And Job isn't the only example of lamenting. The Psalms, the very next book, the Psalms, which are often known for their praise and their songs of thanksgiving, the Psalms are actually mostly laments, more than the songs of praise. They say things like this from Psalm 13. Long enough, God, you've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough I've carried this ton of trouble, lived with a stomach of pain. Long enough my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. The examples in the Bible are plain. It's okay to lament. It's okay to cry out, to grieve when you're suffering. This is an important part of what it means to suffer well. Jesus himself in the Gospels weeps when his friend Lazarus died. If you're suffering today, I would encourage you to learn from Job in the Psalms that weeping, that grieving, that lamenting is an important part of what it means to patiently endure in suffering, a lesson that I had to learn uh, quite recently, actually. So that's the first thing I want to show you from Job. Job lamented. It's an important part of what it means to work while you're suffering. The second thing I want to show you is that Job prayed over and over. Job did lament, but that doesn't mean that he went into a corner and sulked. No, Job kept praying. He kept bringing his, pay, his situation and his suffering before the throne of Almighty God. And this is the second thing we can learn from Job. Patient suffering involves the work of prayer. In Job's suffering, he brings his case right to God. His prayer never stops throughout the entire book. And Job even goes so far as to challenge God, but out of a stance of faith. He's not whining. He's coming to God with legitimate questions. And that's okay. It's okay to bring your questions to God. And we need to learn from Job that he never stopped praying. Check out this example from Job chapter 20, verses 20 to 23. I shout for help, God, and I get nothing. No answer. I stand to face you in protest, and you give me a blank stare. You've turned into my tormentor. You slap me around and knock me about. You raised me up so I was riding high and then dropped me, and I crashed. I know you've determined to kill me, to put me six feet under. Now, maybe that seems a little bit extreme to you. Perhaps. But the point is that Job kept praying. Maybe they weren't pious prayers. Maybe they weren't nice prayers, but they were prayers, and they were the prayers of a broken man honestly talking with his heavenly father. Job gets real with God, and he perseveres. He does the work by praying in the midst of his suffering. And this is the second thing that I want to show you from Job, is that Job keeps praying. The last thing I want to show you from Job and this also requires work, 
but I'll explain, is that God will ultimately bring about good. God will ultimately bring about good for his kids. Because like a good parent, God knows what's best for us. And he is always working out the best for us, even when we can't see it. Job couldn't see it during his suffering. He couldn't see how God was working. He couldn't understand why God was doing what he was doing. He just couldn't understand God. And maybe like our brother Job, you can't see what God is doing in your life today. You can't understand what God is doing, why God would allow what he allows, or how he can possibly bring about good in your suffering. But Job's story shows the ultimate end for those who put their trust in God. I'm going to read a very short snippet from Job 42, the very end of the story. Job finishes his suffering, and then this is what God says, or this is what the author says in verse 10 of Job 42. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as all he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now hear me. I'm not guaranteeing that God will transform your suffering exactly like this. God may deliver you from your suffering, but he also may not. Your suffering may last for a short while, or it may last for a long time. I don't know. I'm a little underqualified to be God. But all I know is this. The end of the story is already written for you. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, the very end of your story is already written. Your suffering will end and will eventually be transformed for good. And this is the final thing I really want us to see from Job. The work of patient suffering involves putting your trust, putting your faith, deliberately changing your mind and choosing to trust Jesus Christ more than your circumstances. God's victory is ultimately assured for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You may not get delivered today. You may not get delivered next week. But the end of your story is already written. So we've looked. We've looked at Job. We've seen that the work of patient suffering involves lamenting, involves prayer, and involves deliberately changing your mind and putting your trust in Jesus. We've also seen that it requires faith, faith in Jesus Christ, in order to make it through hard times of suffering. I want to share with you a story uh, that really impacted me uh, during my own times of suffering this semester. Um, yeah. In spring 2004, a young man married his high school sweetheart. They had dated for six years, gotten engaged, and married the next year. The man's wife was named Sophia. Full of optimism, this young man entered the world eager to do great things for God, ready to take life by the horns, ready to raise a family, ready to make a difference. He worked as a worship leader, and he also drove a semi-truck. A modest living, but, his, but this man entered life ready to work for God. But his new wife had a problem. Sophia had a heart condition that had required surgery as a baby, and surgery as a seven-year-old. But there were no real concerns since then. 
And during their six years of dating, Sophia and her boyfriend never had to deal with any complications related to this heart condition. As they entered married life, everything was going well. But during their first year of marriage, their very first year, Sophia's heart condition became a problem again. The doctor said Sophia required another surgery, a major surgery. The young couple couldn't believe it, and the man couldn't understand what was happening to them. This was not part of the plan. But the young man encouraged his wife, Sophia, baby, we're going to trust God. We're going to trust God. Jesus was a healer, and the young couple put their faith strongly in Jesus. They believed in God. They put their trust in him. They did the work. They lamented. They prayed. They trusted Jesus. But it was tough, and it got harder and harder as the husband balanced two jobs and Sophia continued to go in and out of the hospital. Finances were strained and pressure was mounting. Then the day came and Sophia went in for the surgery. It was a four-hour procedure with a 90% chance of success. No real cause for concern. But then that four hours turned into 12. 12 agonizing hours. The next day, Sophia's heart fails. Sophia is put on an artificial heart, and two weeks pass. The husband and his family pray before God, pleading for a miracle. But after the two weeks passes, the doctors tell the husband it's done. Come and say goodbye. As the young man turns to God, he says, are you kidding me? What happened? And the young man rushes to his wife's side and prays and prays for the next day. But Sophia is gone. And as tears fill his eyes, he has to sign the papers to take her off life support. What happened? This young man prayed and trusted God so much. He did everything we talked about today. He put his faith in Jesus. He lamented. He did the work. He prayed. Where is God's goodness? How can this man ever make it through such a crisis of faith? This famous Christian music artist says it in his own words, I made it through because God's love endures. If you know him, Danny Gokey, Christian artist, his story inspires me because it shows a faith that did the work. He had the faith, and it was still messy. The story didn't end well. Danny went through anger, depression, and he had a terribly difficult time moving beyond this tragedy. It's not the, pic the perfect picture of what it looks like to endure suffering, but he made it through. Why did he make it through? Because God's love endured. Because Jesus is stronger and greater than any trial that you will ever face, than any trial you will face, than any trial you have faced. Jesus will bring good out of your suffering as you patiently endure. But how can I say that? I can say that because it doesn't depend on you. It all depends on him. Now, maybe you're sitting here right now and thinking, I have not suffered well. I know that I, personally, have not always suffered well. I failed. I messed up. I blew it. I don't feel like I deserve another chance. And maybe you feel like the suffering you're going through is too much. But guess what? You have someone who suffered perfectly in your place. Jesus Christ was totally innocent, and yet he suffered a brutal, agonizing death on the cross in your place. Jesus suffered perfectly so that we don't have to suffer perfectly. Yes, we can do the things we talked about today, but ultimately it doesn't depend on you. It all depends on Jesus. 
The gospel says that you have a Savior and King who suffered perfectly on your behalf. All you have to do is trust him. The resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ, will carry you through your trial, will carry you through your suffering, no matter how great you perform or not, because it all depends on him. Today, not tomorrow, today, choose to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ in the midst of your suffering. He will carry you through. And that's the big idea I want to leave with you today. Patiently enduring suffering is possible for us today because it all depends on Jesus Christ. Can I pray for you before I close? Jesus, I don't know where these people are at. Only you do. But I pray for these people today that they would open their hearts to you. If they've never opened their hearts to you, I pray they would open it for the first time and experience the love and the strength that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. If they've known you for a long time, I pray, Lord, that you would make their presence so real to you or that you'd make their, your presence so real to them and that you would carry them through whatever they have today, whatever burden they have. I pray that you would be the all-sufficient king that you are. I give these things over to you and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd just like you to reflect just for a minute. Our world is busy, but I'd like you to reflect for just a minute. What is Jesus saying to you today? What is God saying to you today? He's saying something. So just for a minute, think about what Jesus is saying to you today, and then we will continue on in the service.